Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. And you're saying, God, I don't understand. God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. And God just doesn't hardly even respond to you, only to later on down the road look back and say, God, I don't know what I was thinking then, but I can see from where I'm at now that what you did back then that seemed so unfair, you knew exactly what you were doing. You took care of me through all of that. I didn't understand it then, but I see it now. Don't ever doubt that God has a purpose for you, even if it seems like it's in a place where you are left with unfair treatment. But I believe that Jesus had a purpose because he wanted his disciples to understand that when he speaks, things can happen quickly. When Jesus speaks into your life, things can turn around on a dime. When Jesus speaks into your life, the mountain that looks like it's so uh, huge can be cast into the sea. But you've got to be in a place where Jesus can speak. While you're turning there, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, I just want to very quickly say that Easter is just a couple of weeks away. Here we are, and uh, we are going to offer two services, the 9 and the 11. I'm afraid if we went back to one service too soon, especially before Easter, we would really, really, we, we don't want to test the waters there just yet. Amen. We're just praying for the Lord to give us guidance. And right now, this is opportunity for growth. We're not used to having empty seats. Uh, but since we've got two services and split the church up a little bit, uh, it gives us opportunity to go ahead and grow. So if we want to hit 200, 250, that's fine with me. Uh, we'll, we'll have it out that way at the two different services. But I just want to say this is a great opportunity. I want us to be in prayer for that service because we usually have visitors that maybe don't show up any other time of the year that will come and have an Easter service with us. We want to make every opportunity to make the greatest impact upon them as we can. So we want our guests to feel very special when they come in. We want them to feel very loved, very welcomed. And so, uh, and also if you do bring a guest uh, that I've never met before, please, please don't let them get away without an introduction. I, I want to meet them if at all possible uh, to make their acquaintance and uh, just to let them know uh, from me personally how grateful that I am that they would take some time out and come share a service with us. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, portion of scripture you've heard preached on multiple times, I'm sure. Jesus is here with his disciples and he is taking a moment to teach them. And this is what he says, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And I want to preach to you a message I've simply entitled, Faith at the Foot of the Mountain. Faith at the Foot 
of the mountain. Lord, we just pray your anointing upon your word right now. God, prepare our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. Help me to preach it in the way that you find most effective. In Jesus' name we pray. And would you say amen? amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. Uh, we have just read together uh, probably what I would suspect may possibly be one of the most misunderstood verses in Christianity. I say that because if we just read this verse, it would seem that Jesus is giving anyone the authority if they have the faith to remove any obstacle of mountainous proportion completely out of their way and cast it into the sea. Now you may see that as a literal statement, but more than likely you probably see it the same way that I do as a form of figurative speech that Jesus was telling his disciples. Either way, though, without it being read in its full context, you may find yourself highly disappointed with what this provides for you if you believe it standing alone as a verse by itself. Amen. <clears throat> I would simply ask this to prove my point. Not, not expecting you to give me a show of hands here today, but I'm asking this rhetorical question of how many of us have prayed prayers of desperation, feeling like we know that God just had to hear our prayer and give us what we could not get on our own simply because we believed that he would. Simply because we took this verse and we read it to mean that whatever we pray, if we have enough faith that we would be able to bend God's will and bend God's way to our will and to our way and to pray hard enough with enough faith for God to do what it was that we were asking and wanting him to do. The problem with that is that most of us, like myself, have been to the place in that prayer where believing that way has left me highly disappointed. I've knelt down on my knees before and I've cried out to God and I've thrown this verse in his face. God, you said that if I had faith, that if I prayed, that I could call upon you and you would take the mountain that I'm facing and you, I could cast it into the midst of the sea. And God, here I am standing at the foot of my mountain and I'm casting it into the midst of the sea, but it ain't going where I'm telling it to go. How many have stood at the foot of the mountain and you felt like you had the faith to move that mountain only to find and feel the weight of that mountain bearing down on you. And as it's bearing down on you, you feel your faith began to be squeezed out of you like toothpaste being squeezed out of a tube. And the longer you stare at the mountain, the bigger it looks. 
The longer you pray against the mountain, the larger it seems. The more incomprehensible it feels like that you'll be, ever be able to get that out of your way. It just seems too big. And you walk away from that mountain feeling defeated and disappointed and confused and even wondering perhaps if God even hears your prayers at all. I know I'm not the only one that's prayed like that. You see, we don't always get everything that we want just because we want God to do something that we ask him to do. Just because we have faith for us to understand this scripture, for us to be helped by what I'm trying to speak to us today, we need to put it in its proper context. And to do that, we need to go back just a few verses in that chapter to less than 24 hours before the previous day where you will find Jesus and his disciples coming into the city of Jerusalem where the Mount of Olives would be. It's located there. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is hungry. And on their walk into the city, he sees far off in the distance breakfast. He sees something that can satisfy him, that can bring nourishment to him. He couldn't swing by the local McDonald's drive-thru and pick up a biscuit and jelly. He couldn't get his morning java down at the local java hut. No, he had to look for a source of food. And in that tree far off in the distance, he thought, here's where I'm going to get my belly filled up. Here's where I'm going to find some nourishment for myself. Mark records it like this. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus then does something that confuses me. Something that I didn't really understand. Something I didn't really think was very fair for him to do. But nonetheless, he is Jesus, God robed in flesh. He does not need Doug Rice's permission to do whatever it is he decides to do. I think we would all learn a valuable lesson if we tried to understand that God doesn't need our permission. That he's sovereign. That God will do whatever he sees is best. We may not understand it. We may not like it. But God is God. And he sees the end from the beginning. And some things that doesn't seem right doesn't mean that they aren't right for your future. Maybe they don't feel right in your present. Yes, yes. Jesus looks at the tree and the Bible tells us that he curses the tree. Now, why would Jesus curse a fig tree that did not have figs on it, even though it wasn't the season for the figs to be on the tree? That doesn't seem fair to me, Sister Joanne. If you don't have my taxes due uh, ready and prepared for me, but it's December the 1st, why would I get upset with you? It's not tax season yet, right? So some things have seasons, and this fig tree had a season. 
And it wasn't its season to produce figs. And yet you find Jesus walking up to the tree and he's looking for his breakfast and he finds no figs and he gets angry at the fig tree and he says, cursed are you, you're never going to bear fig again. Jesus never does anything without a purpose to benefit us, no matter how unfair it may seem in the outset. There are things that happen to us. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're shaking your fist at God and you're saying, God, I don't understand. God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. And God just doesn't hardly even respond to you only to later on down the road look back and say, God, I don't know what I was thinking then, but I can see from where I'm at now that what you did back then that seemed so unfair, you knew exactly what you were doing. You took care of me through all of that. I didn't understand it then, but I see it now. Don't ever doubt that God. God has a purpose for you, even if it seems like it's in a place where you are left with unfair treatment. Jesus said, no man shall eat the fruit of thee the hereafter forever. And the Bible says a little something. It gives us a little insight here. It said, and the disciples heard it. They heard what he said to the tree. I've got to ask myself, I wonder how they took it, if they took it the same way that I took it. When I read about it, I wonder if they were standing there, it's like, man, that's a little harsh. <laughs> that's a, that, that seemed to be, man, don't mess with this guy's breakfast. Jesus is upset. Somebody's grumpy when they don't get their breakfast. God manifested in the flesh. He got hungry too. The disciples, they looked at it and said, this seems to be a little bit overkill. The punishment doesn't really seem to fit the crime. And you'd think maybe it'd be over, it'd be done. They were that close to Jerusalem. Maybe they'd go in, find somebody that had bread or cheese or some figs someplace else. Maybe they could get some raisins, some dates, whatever. They could find someplace within the city. But Jesus blows up on this tree, and it doesn't get any better because if you read on, you'll see where he walks from the fig tree, and he goes into the tabernacle, and he looks around, and he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And then he starts kicking over tables, and knocking over money changers and running people out of the tabernacle. It's like, dude, chill. I didn't mean that disrespectful. Dude just came out. Lord, chill. He has run the money changers out. And I'm fairly certain that this is where we've come up and coined the terminology where we say somebody is hangry. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're so hungry that you're angry? You're hangry? I'm just grumpy because my stomach is growling and I want something to eat. The fig tree didn't give it to me. I cursed the fig tree, and now I walk into church, and ain't, things, going ain't right, uh, things aren't going right here either. I'm going to take care of business. I'm already in a bad mood. I'm just going to take and clean house here. I imagine they gave Jesus a little bit of space the rest of the day. Don't get in his way today. Uh, you ever been at the workplace? You know, I can tell when my boss isn't in a good mood. 
I told somebody the other day, I never asked for a favor in the morning with my boss. I never ask for that day off that I need. I wait till Friday afternoon right before I'm going. And everybody's in a good mood on Friday. That's when you ask for favors. If you don't understand that, I'm helping you out right here. Give him some space. So the Bible doesn't tell us much more after that, I, I'm sure. Probably Jesus found some supper eventually. Settled down for the night. I mean, he'd had quite a day of it. He just kicked all the money changers out of the tabernacle, cleaned a little house. It's been a fairly exhausting day, I'm sure. And they went to bed that night, and they got up the very next morning, the Bible says, as they're passing by the same spot where the tree had been cursed, Peter notices something. And you know, Peter's always the one that's got to say something. Probably the rest of them were like, don't say nothing about the tree. <laughs> but you always got that one that just can't let it go. I heard a preacher say one time, Peter was that disciple that walked into every room mouth first, you know. You hear him coming way before you ever see him. Peter was always the one spouting off. Peter was always the one that was speaking just a little too quickly. And so Peter, that very next morning, they're passing by the same place, and he sees that tree that they had passed by the previous morning and had gotten them off on the wrong foot. Only today, the tree doesn't look the same as it did the day before. And he says, oh, look, Master, it's the tree you cursed yesterday. It's withered up. And it's dead. This blows Peter away. Why? Because this is not a natural thing. This tree wasn't just starting to, the, the leaves were starting to brown on the tips. It didn't have a, a dry branch or two. This thing had gone from being a tree with leaves all over it one day in less than 24 hours. Now it was a tree that was completely withered up from the roots to the tip of it. It was good for nothing but Kindling in less than 24 hours' time. That's not how things typically work. I would dare say that you could go out to one of these trees here in the churchyard and you could rip the bark off. You could do things that would ultimately kill that tree. You could probably take a chainsaw and run it through the middle of it uh, two or three times, and, and it might kill that tree. You might be able to go out there and chop off several of the roots at the ground, take an axe to it. You could spend a lot of time, and it would take days, maybe weeks, for you to begin to notice up in the branches that there was a problem. But I believe that Jesus had a purpose because he wanted his disciples to understand that when he speaks, things can happen quickly. When Jesus speaks into your life, things can turn around on a dime. When Jesus speaks into your life, the mountain that looks like it's so uh, huge can be cast into the sea. But you've got to be in a place where Jesus can speak. And it's at this point that Jesus makes his first statement that leads into our scripture text today that I believe will help us understand a deeper meaning of what he was talking about when he spoke of faith. 
For this is what he says. He says, have faith in God. And then it goes right into our text. For truly I say to you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed. Now, we don't go back that far most of the time. We just start in on the scripture text. Whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, and believes in his heart, and we, we take that and we use that to our own benefit. But the problem is, is oftentimes, if we're not in alignment with God's will, we will wind up being disappointed, and then we'll stand back and fold our arms and shake our fists at God and say, why, God, you lied to us. Your scripture isn't true, and we'll walk away disillusioned and disappointed when the reality is, is we're misusing it. We're not using it according to what Jesus said. Well, if I have enough faith, I can have whatever I want. Hey, the name it and claim it thing was a big deal there for a while. Man, you had these prosperity gospels going all around. Hey, if you got enough faith, you need faith. If it didn't happen, it why? Because you didn't have enough faith. You, you, you just need to pray for more faith. You need to read more books on faith. You need to listen and, and watch uh, more uh, different things that are on the internet on faith. You just need your faith increased. Hang out with people that have more faith than you. Faith. 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 We're shoving that faith. Faith down our gullet. And when things don't go as planned, we feel wrecked. We wonder if God hears us at all. But Jesus never said to have faith in faith. He said have faith in God. We've turned faith into our God instead of having faith in God. We've turned things, if we can just have more faith, if I can just believe more, if I can just have more faith. Well, the word of God tells you that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can do all these great and mighty things. So the word of God even declares that it doesn't take a whole lot of faith. So why do we shove faith down our throat all the time? You need more faith. I'll tell you, faith in faith itself is a misplaced faith. But when you put your faith in God, that's when the power, that's when the anointing, that's when the mountains begin to move out of your life. You can believe in something all you want, but if your belief is misplaced, you're going to be highly disappointed. Jesus takes the opportunity with the dead fig tree to tell his disciples that are awestruck Peter's standing there with his mouth wide open. And Jesus reaches up, puts his mouth back, you know. He's like, I can't believe it. This, this just doesn't happen. I mean, you came up yesterday morning. I'm glad that I'm glad that, that wasn't me you were talking to. I'd be dead as a doornail and six foot under by now. I mean, you spoke to that tree, and in less than 24 hours, it, be, it became a tree that could have budded. It may have produced fruits later on, but it wasn't a season to a tree that was completely dried up, useless, and worthless, and never would be used again. He cannot believe his eyes at what he's seeing. And so Jesus takes this opportunity 
to tell him, you think this is something? That's just one tree. I want you to look at that mountain. That's Mount, that, that's a mountain of the Mount of Olives up there. It's a mountain full of olive trees. It produces all kinds of olives. And he, he said, you know what? You take this one tree right here and you're impressed by this one tree. But if I can get your faith placed in the right place, if I can get you to trust in God, if I can get you to believe in God, if I can get you to put your faith and your confidence and your hope in God and not in faith, then you can say to this whole mountain of trees, be thou removed. I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg. This is nothing compared to what is made available to somebody who has placed their trust and their faith in the proper place. So how do I get beyond this mountain? How do I overcome this problem that life has thrown my way? God, I'm standing at the foot of the mountain. And I've got faith. But is my faith in you? Or is my faith in my wallet? Is my faith in you? Or is my faith in my president? Is my faith and my trust in you? Or is my faith in my doctor? Is my faith in you? And the list goes on and on and on. Faith misplaced is pointless. Jesus said, have faith. But have faith in God. Well, what is that? Faith is having confidence in the integrity of God based upon his word. I'm going to say that one more time. Faith is having confidence in the integrity of God that God will do what he said he would do based upon what his word said he would do. Your faith will never be effective if it goes against the word of God. I've had people come up to me and say, well, pastor, I've been praying about this, or maybe I'm not their pastor. Maybe I'm just uh, uh, just a friend, and, and I want the Lord to do this for me, and I've been praying about this really hard. I've got faith, and I just believe it's going to happen, and in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, I, if it does happen, it won't be because God had a hand in it, because if you knew anything about God's Word and what God's Word says about it, what God says about the relationship you're about ready to get into, what God says about the place that you're getting ready to go, what God says about what you're getting ready to speak or say or do, then you would never ask God to do it because his word plainly declares that he will not bless something his word stands against. His word is already settled in heaven. You're not going to change the word. You can retranslate it all you want to, and a lot of times we're good at that. We don't need another translation. We don't need an NIV or TLB or KJV. We 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 do the DAR version, you know, Doug Allen Rice version. We make it say whatever we want it to say that fits our need, right? 
Don't tell me that it doesn't happen. We'll try to twist it and turn it to say what we want it to say. But honey, let me tell you something today. God's word is forever already settled. You're not going to change it one iota. You're not going to change one crossing of a T or one dotting of an I. Amen. We must live according to his word if we want his blessings. Who hasn't at one time or another tried to fool one parent? I can remember being a kid growing up. I'd go ask mom. She was a, the easier one. You know, dad was tougher. That's the way it is in several households, not all of them, but it wasn't mine. Dad was a tougher cell, and you know. Uh, he didn't care what I wanted. He just, he was going to do what he thought was best for me. And mom, I could soften her up a little bit, you know, and uh, do, do something nice, and, and, uh, and I could get her to maybe bend a little bit. But dad, he was a, he was a harder cell, and so I would go to mom, and I'd say, mom, I really wanted to go and do this, you know, uh, and I'd try to make it sound as innocent as I possibly could. Well, who's going to be there? Well, I don't know, just a few, few friends, you know. What's going to, what, what are you going to do? Oh, we're just doing, you know, just a little you know, teenager stuff, you know, just kind of hanging out. Well, I'm not going to tell you yes. Go ask your dad whatever your dad says. So now the real challenge comes. You got to go talk to daddy, and he's not as easy. He's going to get down into the nitty-gritty with you. And so you don't go talk to dad when he's got nothing going on. He can give you his undivided attention. You want that when you're trying to get money out of his pocket. But when you're trying to pull the wool over his eyes, you wait till he's distracted. And so I'd catch dad maybe out in the shop underneath the car changing the oil or working on an alternator or whatever it was he was doing out in the shop when he was underneath the car. And he couldn't, he couldn't look in, into my eyes and tell that I was trying to pull one over on him. I, I'd start asking very generic questions and kind of working things up. And if he'd ask me to go get the a socket for him, I'm like, oh, sure, dad. Yeah, whatever you need. You know, we'll just do whatever. And by the way, you know, and I'd try to, I'd try to get that to, to pass by him and, and, and anything, even if he just shook his head. I'd take that as yes. I'd go back into mom. Dad said it was okay. Well, if dad said it was okay, that's all right. Out the door I'd go. And you know how that story ends. It never turns out well. My dad was a great guy. He was a nice guy, but he was no, no fool. And he wasn't going to let his teenage punk son fool him. He'd get down to it. Now, he may catch me later, and I'd have to pay for my mistake, but, but Dad knew what was going on. And sometimes I wonder if we treat God just like that. God, uh, here's, here's, the real still, here's the real deal, and, and, and God said, no, let me ask you a few more questions. Oh, let's not get it. I don't want to bother you with the details. I just need you to do what I want you to do. I've got faith. I believe you can do it. And we try to butter, butter God up, but God says, hey, what does my word say about it? You can't go past my word because I will not bless anything that my word stands against. God, move this mountain. And God may look at you and say, I put the mountain there. I'm the one who created it. You're supposed to be at the foot of that mountain. You can't just tell God part of the story. 
You can't just have faith. But you've got to have faith in God. Unless you're saying what God is saying, then your faith is in something other than God. But when your will is aligned with his will and your prayers are aligned with his word and your faith lines up with God's will, then your mountain doesn't stand a chance. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. That was what he was trying to get through their minds. Hey, you think this is something I've given you a little bit of taste of the power of having faith, but you need to understand that your faith just doesn't come in watching me do miracles. Your faith doesn't didn't come in watching me curse this fig tree, but your faith has to be placed in the almighty God. And when you place your faith in him, he can help you move mountains that you'll never move on your own. David said his word is a lamp and a light. His word. David didn't have vehicles, cars, trucks, highways back then, not like we have today at least. And uh, he sure didn't have headlamps. But if you don't believe that headlamps and lights are important, I just, I just uh, tell you, go out down the country roads out here at night uh, on a moonless night and with your lights on. And all of a sudden, after you're driving about 55, 60 miles an hour, flip your light switch off and see what happens. See how far you get. Not really. Don't do that. Lamps and lights are important. And David made the statement as our music comes today. God, your word is a lamp unto my feet. How did he travel? He traveled with his feet. How did he get places? He walked there. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my pathway. Does that mean that David never stumbled? He never fell? No. But David understood the value of having the word of God as it led him and as it guided him. Yes, he got down in the rut. Yes, he fell into the gutter. Yes, you better believe he fell and and down into the ditch. But there was a point in time where David could come back up. He always knew where the road was at. He always knew where the light was at because the word of God illuminated it for him in his life. Therefore, David knew how to get back on track. Yes, yes, yes. He knew how to get back on the road. Too many want God to make a personal pit stop in their lives, but they refuse the general guidelines of His Word. God, I want you to do this. I asked earlier on in the 9 o'clock service, Brother Hogan, who has a podcast, he interviews people, different ones. He's had Brother Jones on there, interviewed him. That was easy. He knows Brother Jones. But he's had other people on there that he kind of admired. And, And anybody, any interviewer worth their salt will do a little research on who it is that they're going to interview so they don't make a fool of themselves. So they don't ask questions that are irrelevant. If I was going to have somebody important and I was going to meet them, I would do 
a little study. I might try to find them on social media platforms someplace. I might try to see if they had a book out. I might grab their book and read their book. I want to see how their mind works. I want to see how they think. I want to see what makes them tick before I sit down and have a private conversation with them. And we make a grave mistake when we want private conversation with God, but we never do the research on how God thinks, what He feels, what makes Him tick. We just want a candy stick. God, just do what I asked you to do, okay? Just move this mountain. I believe you can. I have faith. And God says, yes, but what is your faith in? Where have you placed your faith? If we want God to entertain a private meeting, you may want to read what he's made public record. You may want to know how he operates because that is where faith gets powerful enough to move mountains. We try to hammer away. (laughs) Bring me that bigger sledgehammer. Bring me a bigger shovel. I've got to move this mountain. God's not going to do it. I'm going to have to move it by myself. You're fighting a losing battle. You're never going to win that way. Well, God, I want them saved, and I want them saved today, right now. And God says, listen, would you put your faith in me? Would you give me a little time? You're putting your confidence in everything else. You're trying to jackhammer this thing. When all I have to do is speak a word and everything changes. And I've come to tell you when God speaks it, happen like that it can turn around on a dive and everything can change but not until we have our faith where it belongs not in just believing but in the one who created us would you stand with me today have faith Make sure that your faith is in God. And real faith doesn't tell God what he needs to do. Real faith is asking what God needs us to do in order to remove the mountain. Real faith doesn't come to God with a list of demands. Real faith humbly comes to God on their knees and says, God, what can I do to help facilitate this? God, what can I do? God, if it's me that needs to change, if it's me and my mindset, if it's where I have my faith that's messing this all up, then God, help me put my faith where it belongs. Let me put my faith back in you, God, because I'm wearing myself out trying to move this mountain with a shovel. I'm wearing myself out trying to get this thing out of my way and I'm not getting anywhere with it I'm waiting on you to speak and God says I'm waiting on you to obey 
I'm waiting on you to obey what God, your word, his word. Let his word be the lamp. Let his word be the light. Hmm. You'll watch your frustration begin to melt. The moment that you've placed your trust and your faith in the hands of God. Because then you can stand at the foot of the mountain and say, God, if it's your will, you can move this mountain. And if it's not your will to move it, then I know you'll help me climb. Not every mountain is intended to be moved in your life. Hear me. I know you want better news than that. I know we want the quick pill. I know we want the microwavable meal. We want the answer here and now. We want the drive through God's service to give us what we want in less than two minutes time so we can be on our way with the rest of our life. But it doesn't always work like that. For those of you that are standing at the foot of your mountain today, You need to chew on this message for a while. Maybe you've had your faith in faith alone. Maybe you felt bad or felt like a failure because you've prayed and nothing has happened. And you're wondering where is God at in all of this? Could it be that maybe your faith has just been placed in the wrong place? situation in the hands of the wrong individual if you have a need today maybe there's a sickness in your body maybe there's a relative maybe there's a relationship problem in a fam with a family member maybe something that you've been battling for a long time and you've prayed about it and you felt like you've just gotten nowhere as they begin to sing this song, I'm going to ask you if you would find a place to pray, whether it be up here at this altar, and I open this altar up to you today, or you are right where you're at, but I'm going to admonish you, would you give your faith to God right now? Would you give the mountain back to Him? Would you put the problem that you're going through? Would you hand the disappointment over to Him? Would you quit trying to move it by yourself? Would you quit feeling bad that you don't have enough faith to make it happen? And would you just hand it to God right now? All over this place, I'm asking you to raise your hands. Lift your voice to Him. Give it to Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.